Okay, as the uh, parents make their way back in, uh, let's just take a moment to pray and ask for God's help as we turn and look at his word together. Let's pray. Father, we sung earlier in the service the words, cause your word to come alive in me. And that's my prayer for this moment, uh, for myself, but for us all together. As we look at this passage, the first message of this new year together, may you cause your word to come alive in us. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, many of you know that I love BBC nature documentaries, and the most recent one, I wonder if any of you saw it, Planet Earth 3, did not disappoint. The third episode was called Deserts and Grasslands, and it tracked with a family of baboons in the deserts of Namibia. Did anyone see it? Oh, come on. (laughs) It's on iPlayer now. Watching this family of baboons fighting to survive for eight months of the year without a drop of rain, it was almost agonizing at times. The images of the arid and unproductive land, the family of baboons growing thinner and thinner, it was hard to watch. But then the episode tracked with the rain coming in the ninth month. And David Attenborough, in his commentary, used the following striking words. He said, the much-needed rain brings salvation. Not just to this family, but to the thirsty land. When it falls, it totally transforms the desert into a productive landscape. And then you got these beautiful images of flourishing and greenery everywhere. And that journey, recounted in the episode, illustrates helpfully what the passage we're looking at this morning is all about. Listen to the words of Isaiah 43:19. The Lord says, "Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert." This is a section of scripture where God speaks of coming afresh into the wilderness of our lives and bringing with him much needed spiritual renewal. In these verses, Isaiah shows us the God who reforms people who have lost their sense of purpose. He shows us the God who reforms Christians who have lost a godly vision for their lives. People who are stuck in a spiritual rut. 
And on the first day of the new year, or the first Sunday of the new year, sorry, I want these verses to light a fire under our hearts and to make us bubble with longing for a new day of spiritual life and fruitfulness in our own lives. Several years back, I went through a process with a church called Clearing Our Vision. It was a corporate effort to identify clutter, spiritual clutter, and rediscover clearly what we want our lives to be about. Well, this passage, Isaiah 42 and 43, is given to help us clear our vision for 2024, to help us rise up out of the dust of lesser things and to go forward with a godly vision for our lives. This is a journey of spiritual renewal. And the journey of spiritual renewal in these verses comes to us really in four sections. And I just want to work through the passage, each section in turn, and I'm going to summarize each section with just one key word that captures the progressive steps of a renewal process. And so if you perhaps at the start of this year thinking, you know what, I've got into a bit of a spiritual slump. I, have, I am lacking spiritual purpose and vision and direction. Or if you just are in need of freshness, even now, open your heart and just be praying inwardly, Lord, speak to me and let the water of your word fall afresh on me this morning. So section one, our key word is confrontation. And it's chapter 42, verse 18 to 25. In these verses, the Lord addresses his people and confronts them over the fact that they have lost their sense of spiritual purpose. Look at the way he confronts them in verse 18. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who's he addressing here? Well, the answer is given in verse 19. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my, my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? My servant, my messenger, my dedicated one. These are always in the book of Isaiah that God speaks of his own people. You see, in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6, just before this passage, we see God's clear commission to his people that they were to live as lights, lights among the nations. God's people were to show a watching world the beauty of a life lived according to God's word. But God's people at this stage in their history had lost their way, lost their purpose. They'd become so influenced by the world around them that they had lost, we could say, their distinctiveness in the world. They failed in their mission to be lights for the Lord and lost their sense of purpose. It reminds me of the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. 
Matthew 5, 13, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how can it be restored? God confronts his people at this stage of redemptive history in Isaiah 42, and he says essentially, you have become bland. And I just want to ask, right at the outset, might this have happened to you? Our mission as God's people today is the same as God's people then. We are to show the beauty of a gospel-shaped life in the world. We are to show a watching world the beauty of a life lived under the lordship of Christ, at work, at home, at school, at uni, with our friends. Have we lost our distinctiveness? What are the results of losing our sense of purpose? Or what are maybe some of the the symptoms of, of this life? What does it look like when we drift away from living closely to the Lord? Well, Isaiah actually speaks of three things in this text. People without purpose first become spiritually insensitive. Do you see that in verse 20? God's speaking of his servant and he says, his people, and says, he sees many things, but he doesn't observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. When we lose our sense of spiritual purpose and when we drift away from the Lord, we become like a person who needs glasses but is wearing the wrong prescription. We see, but we don't really see clearly. We see the gospel, but we fail to see beauty there. And it doesn't stir our hearts. We become spiritually insensitive. Or we become like a phone in an area of poor signal. We hear truths about God, but we don't hear in a way that that grips our hearts. It's because we've become dull. Spiritual insensitivity is the mark of someone who has drifted away from God. We don't want to be like that. A second symptom is you fail to flourish spiritually. Verse 21, the Lord says to his people, you were supposed to demonstrate the glory of living by my word, my law, but because of your disobedience, you failed to flourish. Drifting away from the Lord means we fail to flourish, spiritually speaking. In verse 22, look at the language used. This is a people plundered, stuck in a pit with no one to say, restore. Some of you who have drifted from the Lord, you know that deep down you're spiritually miserable. You doom scroll on your phone, you binge watch TV, and it leaves you, you know it, feeling dull and empty. You haven't read your Bible or prayed properly or been on fire for God for years You've got lazy in the fight against sin, no intentionality about cultivating godliness in your life. There's so much more for you than that. When we drift from the Lord, when we lose our sense of purpose, we become spiritually insensitive. We lack spiritual flourishing. We're marked by a kind of deadness. But thirdly, 
Isaiah tells us here that this invites God's discipline. You invite God's discipline when you do this. In verse 24, we're told clearly that because of the sin of his people, God was exercising his fatherly discipline to bring them back on course. Look at the language of verse 24. Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? in whose ways they would not walk, and whose law they would not obey. In verse 25, we read that God sought to refine his people through trials and the fires of affliction, but they didn't even take the lessons to heart. We have to recognize that sometimes our Heavenly Father ordains trials to wean us away from our self-sufficiency. These trials come from the Father heart of God and are ultimately for our good. And if you're in a trial right now or ever going through things that are difficult, when you have the strength to stop and look to the Lord, it might be good for you to ask this question, Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this? What are you trying to work in me through this? Life's hard right now, Lord. But I know that nothing comes my way that is outside of your providential care. So even in this, you have something good for me. What is it you're trying to teach me? What are you trying to work in me through this? Is it patience? Are you trying to wean me away from my self-sufficiency so that I'd be more dependent on you? Are you trying to wean me away from my complacency so that I will become more close to you and dependent on you? In the first part of our passage this morning, God confronts a people who have totally lost their sense of purpose and calling. And this confrontation comes from love. This is a call for those in the wilderness to rise up and shake off their dust and renew their vision. And maybe just before we move on to the second section, the question of verse 23 needs to be a question that you pay attention to this morning. Who among you will give ear to this and will attend and listen for the time to come? This is a confrontation from love. The second section of our passage then can be summarized with the key word commitment. And we're going to look here at 43, 1 to 7. The opening two words of chapter 43 are welcome. They are rich with hope for those who have lost that sense of purpose and vitality. And those words are simply, but now. They are words that announce it's time for a change. And look at where God starts here as he begins to work renewal in his people's hearts. He reaffirms in this section his commitment to his people here with words that are so full of affection that it's almost embarrassing for us to listen to. These are some of the most beautiful words from God spoken about his people in all of Scripture. And they are all the more amazing 
when you see they are words of his ongoing commitment to the people he has just confronted in the first section. These are God's words of commitment to people who have drifted from God. And I'm just going to read these words and add some comments along the way so that we can really grasp what God is saying. So 43 verse 1, but now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you're mine. This is God saying, I have betrothed you to myself. You're mine, even in your drifting, even in your dryness, even in your sin. My covenant people are mine. Our sins may lead us into periods of refinement. In a fallen world, periods of hardship are inevitable. But look at God's commitment to stay with us no matter what. Verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Verse 4, because you're precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, I give men in return for you people in exchange for your life. This is the Lord saying, though in my providential care I may ordain for you afflictions, I will order your troubles and your pains, and in the darkness I will be there to sustain. And then in verses 5 to 7, he says again, Fear not, for I am with you. And he explains that he still has plans to gain glory from this people whom he has called by his name. Here is a God who is deeply committed to keeping his side of the covenant that he has entered into with us. Though we drift, though we take him for granted, though we forget him and are guilty of spiritual adultery, he is the one who has a love that will not let us go. Now, why this section here? You've got this passage that confronts us in our dryness and in our purposelessness. And then this incredible statement of God's love and commitment to us. I think this reaffirmation of commitment is here to humble us, to make us sense again our unworthiness of this love but more than anything to help us rediscover his amazing grace all over again. This is the God who, because of Jesus Christ, does not count our sins against us nor repay us according to our iniquities. When I think on this commitment that follows this confrontation of half-heartedness and dryness, it breaks me within. Does it not break you within? To see his love 
meeting and interfacing with our complacency. His commitment for our lack of commitment. It makes us cry out, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. But you know, this section also speaks to us of the greatest foundation of our hope for the year ahead. What is your greatest hope for walking closely with the Lord in 2024? It's not first your commitment to Him, it's first His commitment to you. That's your foundational hope for this year ahead. His commitment to you. He will hold us fast. Man, that's how I can sleep at night. That's commitment. But now the third step on this journey of renewal comes in verses 8 to 13. And our key word now is recommissioning. In this section, we see God presiding over a kind of commissioning service for his people or a recommissioning service. He calls his people out in verse 8. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes. Now we know that that's speaking of this people who have drifted from the Lord. And then he calls all nations and peoples to assemble as part of this great congregation. Then God speaks to all nations and he calls them to bear witness to their idols, to expose how impotent they are compared to the living God. That's all in verse 9. But then in verse 10, he calls to his own people and says, Now, you are my witnesses to all of these assembled nations, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. In verse 10, when God says, you are my witnesses, he is calling, he has, is calling his people to rediscover their purpose. You are called to bear witness among the nations and to declare among the nations my greatness and my glory. What is the content of this witness? What is it that they're to be declaring? Well, there are two things clearly outlined here. First, his all-sufficient salvation. You're to bear witness to my saving grace. Verse 11, we're to say our God alone is God. Besides him, there is no savior. We're not saying Jesus is a way or even the best way to be right with God. He's the only way to be right with God. In Islam, no salvation. In Hinduism, no salvation. Anything not faith alone in Christ alone, no salvation. In verse 12, God says it again. You are my witnesses. And here he moves on to point from his people bearing witness to his salvation to his people bearing witness to his sovereignty. End of verse 12. I am God. I am he. There's none who can deliver from my hand. I work and who can turn it back? We witness to his supremacy and sovereign reign in all of life. We say to a watching world, Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. And you show the world the beauty of a life lived according to the gospel. What it looks like to live under the Lordship of Christ in word 
and in our witness, our behavior. This is all captured beautifully in the hymn that we sing sometimes, Ancient of Days. Here's what we say to a world looking on. There's none above him, none before him. All of time is in his hands. For his throne it shall remain and ever stand. All the power, all the glory, I will trust in his name. For my God is the Ancient of Days. Here's the main point that this section makes. God wants his people to rediscover their calling, to be his witnesses, just where he's placed us. And this, again, is exactly the same commission that we have received by Jesus. Do you remember what he said before he ascended to the right hand of the Father? Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So let's clear our vision for the year ahead. Your calling from God this year and every year is to just be a faithful witness to his sovereignty and salvation. Through your life, through your words, You're to demonstrate, wherever he's placed you, the beauty of a life lived under the lordship of Christ. What does that look like? Well, in your workplace or with your family or wherever you're living your life in all your spheres, you're fighting laziness. You're fighting the temptation to cut corners at work. You're fighting the temptation to do shoddy work. That'll do work. In the canteen, when you're with your colleagues, your language is noticeably different. In the staff room, you try to avoid the gossip and the complaining as much as possible. You're part of a different culture, the culture of the kingdom. You don't want to be secularized. You want to Christianize the environment around you. And when people notice and when the opportunities come, in a simple way, you just speak of the hope you find in Jesus. Your life is always bearing witness to something. I wonder what your life is saying about the value and worth of God in your life before a watching world. What is your life saying? Rise up and hear the Lord say again on the first Sunday of this year, you are my witnesses. Rediscover your calling. Rise up out of the the muck of half-heartedness. Rediscover a godly ambition for your life. It doesn't have to be complicated. Rediscover the beauty of a life built on God's salvation and God's sovereignty. Well, we come then in this fourth section of our passage to the final stage of this journey of transformation. And the key word here we're going to use is just renewal. We see it in verses 14 to 21. The Lord here renews the hope of his people by explaining that he is going to do a new exodus-like work to liberate them from their languishing in spiritual poverty. 
In verses 16 and 17, he reminds his people of his work of liberation through the Exodus. But then in verse 18, he says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The Exodus was never to be merely a one-time event in the history of God's people. It was a pattern of salvation. A God of grace coming to a people languishing in spiritual poverty and slavery and sin. God opening a new way for them to come out through the wilderness and to come into a well-watered land. This new work here in Isaiah 43 points ultimately to the wonderful coming of the Lord Jesus Christ who would come into the wilderness of our lives and notice the gospels open with this in the wilderness, a voice calling out, prepare the way of the Lord. He's coming not just to baptize with water but to baptize with the Holy Spirit to bring new life in the wilderness. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the new thing that God was doing. A new exodus, an ultimate exodus. To save a people from their languishing and to bring them into a place of enjoyment of living water. But this passage is also speaking of an ongoing renewal that God wants to keep working in our lives continually by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul writes like this, We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now, what you need to see there is the passive tense of the verb, being renewed. Who's doing the renewing? The Lord himself, inwardly, is renewing us by his Spirit day by day continually working renewal in our hearts and lives. Listen, at the beginning of this year, God wants to reenact the exodus in your life and lead you away from the wilderness to a land of flourishing day by day. This call to remember not the former things is essentially the Lord saying, don't live your life looking back on what once was. Don't live your life looking back on the former days when you enjoyed mercy and grace. It's not saying, don't remember with thankfulness God has done in the past. It's saying, don't depend on former experiences of grace in the past. Seek the mercies that are fresh and new every morning. Don't live out of yesterday's experience of closeness with God, pining for what once was. God comes in this passage and he comes to us today through his spirit and encourages us with the hope of him coming into our lives to do something fresh and new this year. 
Look at the question of verse 19. Don't you perceive it? He wants to position you to live according to your purpose as a witness. Now, what might God doing a new thing in your life look like this year? We're moving here to think about how might we respond to this and how might we open our hearts to God doing a new work in our lives this year? What might freshness look like for each of us? Well, it could be a new sphere of witness through some kind of change that will happen this year. Maybe some of you are anticipating a change in your workplace. Maybe you're restless. Maybe some of you are getting ready to move country to a new place. Maybe this could be God working a new thing in you and giving you a new sphere of witness. But go forward into that change saying, this is God positioning me again to be a witness. For some, it could be responding to a deep sense of God's call in your life to become a missionary, cross-culturally, to leave this land and go somewhere, some unreached people group with the gospel. Maybe this could be the year where you hear God speaking to you and calling you to leave what you know because he's doing a new thing, giving you a new place to be a witness. Just think very practically. For others, this could mean something like, I'm going to think more carefully this year about what I actually believe about baptism and church membership. I'm going to make a decision. I'm not going to drift. I'm going to think, right, Am I going to go to this church? Then then I'm going to commit to membership. If I don't understand what I think about baptism, well, I'm going to work it out this year. I'm going to get baptized if I believe that that's right. And then I'm going to join the church. Maybe for you, that could be the new thing God wants to work in your life. A new commitment to the local church. For others, it could be practicing hospitality. Maybe for a long time, you haven't done this and And we see the commands in the New Testament about caring for one another and welcoming one another and not just being together in the church, but in our homes. Maybe this year you could say, maybe a simple thing I'm going to do is just maybe once every two months, I'm going to have someone round to my house. I'm going to have a meal and we're going to get to know them a little better and we're going to fellowship in that way. Maybe looking out for those that are on the margins. Maybe students who all week, they come here and then they don't see anyone else from church all week. Maybe you could say, I'm going to try and be more intentional in ministering to those on the margins. Maybe that could be a way of God posturing or impacting your life, doing something fresh that postures you to be a witness. What new thing might God be wanting to work out in your life this year? Will you be open to hear? Will you be open to responding in obedience? Not just being a hearer, but a doer of the word. Maybe you've fallen into a habit of having a critical spirit. And maybe this year God wants to work on that so that your witness will improve. The Lord wants us to be men and women of purpose at Great Vic, not aimlessly drifting from day to day. You can be a man of godly purpose, men in the room. Women, you can be women with godly vision and ambition and a godly purpose. 
And your godly purpose is infectious to those that are languishing in a place of aimlessness. The Lord wants us to have a clear vision for our lives that we would demonstrate to a watching world the beauty of a life lived for his glory. And do you notice that's exactly how our passage ends in verse 20. Look at the middle of verse 20. For I give water in the wilderness. Oh my goodness, that is the good news of the gospel. That's good news for you if you've come in this morning, you weren't expecting the sermon, and it has hit you like, a, like David Stone hit Goliath right between the eyes. I bring water to your wilderness, says the Lord. Rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself. Why? That they may declare my praise. There's a vision for 2024. Living for the praise of his glory. So will you, right at the outset, first Sunday, of 2024. Will you recommit your whole life this morning to living for his praise? To praise him yourself, to enjoy him, but also to point others to his praiseworthiness. Or maybe at the start of a new year, you're here and you're not a Christian. For the first time, will you turn your life towards the Lord? And ask him to do a total new work of salvation in your life. Well, however this meets us this morning, let's all turn to the Lord Jesus who said these words, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's the salvation that your thirsty soul needs. Let's pray. Father, just steady our hearts now as we respond to your word start of a new month and the start of a new year, we're going to just gather around your table now and respond by having the Lord's Supper, remembering the place of our spiritual transformation and renewal. And Father, as we respond, I just pray, Father, that the seed of your word would be protected it would fall in good soil in our hearts, that you'd shoot down the birds that would want to peck at the seed and take it away, that you'd cut back the thorns that would want to grow up and choke the word, that you would break through the stony soil so that our roots would go deep and that we would bear fruit to the praise of your glory in Jesus' name, amen.
Well, we're going to respond uh, by having the Lord's Supper together. We're going to sing the first part of the hymn, Behold the Lamb, a lovely communion hymn that helps us set our hearts and minds for what we're doing. If you know and love Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're in good standing with your local church, you're welcome to share in this meal with us. If you didn't realize that the bread and uh, cup is at the back when you come in and you walk past it, but you're intending to share communion, just during the first part of this hymn, don't be afraid to nip back, uh, get the bread and the cup, and then get settled so that we're ready to break bread together afterwards. If you're here and you're not a Christian, uh, I would encourage you not to take the Lord's Supper, but instead to just take time to ask what's holding you back from the new life in the Lord at the start of a new year. Let's prepare our hearts by singing, Behold the Lamb, we'll stand, sing the first two verses, and then we'll sit down after that and we'll just enjoy the Lord together. Stand. See 